Rusty Quill presents. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Hello, faithful listeners. Welcome to the Spirit Box Radio Q&A. I'm Aira, the creator of the show, and these questions are all asked by lovely fans from across the internet. In previous Q&As, I've included people's names or display names whenever I've read the questions, but I haven't done that this time. Uh, I think I'm answering pretty much every question that came my way, though, so your answers should be in here. Thank you so much for sending your questions in. Before we crack into the questions, there's one that hasn't come up that I think that kind of needs to be addressed because it seems to be that there's a lot of people out there who still think that I am an entire team of people. Um, I'm not an entire team of people. The show is written, directed, edited, sound designed, and all produced by me. 
It's just me and the voice actors. For Spirit Box Radio, occasionally someone will write a letter that will feature in the show, but otherwise it's just me. Uh, I do the whole lot. Yeah, moving on then. How did you cast? In several different ways. So Alex and Jesse, who play Anna and Kitty, are my friends and housemates, and they work with me on Clockwork Bird, which was still airing when I started making Spirit Box Radio. Uh, they and my sister, Daisy, and my dad, Gary, who play regular Call of Beth and the Man in the Black Cap, uh, all wanted to keep doing voice acting after they'd had that little first taste when we did Clockwork Bird. I had an absolutely minuscule audience and I had no connections in audio drama, um, so that was like the sum total of the cast of Clockwork Bird. Um, and then when I started making Spirit Box, um, I also added Rip, um, who's a friend of Alex, um, and they play Rytidia. Um, and then through them, I was put in touch with Will, who plays Oliver, um, because Alex and Rip also know Will. Uh, and the rest of the cast was found through large open auditions. Did I write with specific people in mind? Uh, not beyond Alex and Jesse for Anna and Kitty. And even then, it was about like playing to their strengths as developing VAs more than writing characters specifically with them in mind, if that makes sense. When I cast, I was looking for people who fit their characters. And then as I got to know the other VAs a bit more, I started to write moments and bits for them that I thought they'd really shine in, um, according to where I found their strengths to be um, through editing their stuff. So no, I don't really write with people in mind for Spirit Box Radio. Um, although that's a bit different for other stuff, but it tends to mostly be like, oh, I have like fantasy casts for the stuff as, I, as I'm writing it. Um, and... A lot of them are like not very achievable people that you, you couldn't just ask them to like show up in your audio drama, especially not shows like the ones I make, which have relatively small budgets. How much influences have the actors had over their characters? Uh, not much, um, though I do think they add a lot of layers of context through their performances. Um, so they don't get any input on their characters' directions and they don't really know much about the plot outside of what their own character's involvement in it is. Um, so, yeah, uh, not very much input at all. Uh, the characters would not be who they are if it wasn't for the people playing them, though, and I think that's really important and it's, like, one of the most magical parts of making an audio drama is hearing people read your lines as those characters that you've had floating around in your head for so long. Um, and hearing them come to life for the first time is, is really exciting, it's really cool. Uh, it's one of my favourite parts. Does the recording machine get a happy ending? Uh, yes! Um, if the recording machine features less in season three than it might have, had there not been an increase in anxiety about AI, I started feeling really uncomfortable with AI's presence in the show, even though, like, the recording machine isn't AI in a way that's meant to replace a voice actor. It was, like, specifically meant to be an artificially generated voice. That was, like, the whole point of it. And it doesn't even sound like a person. I think that probably if I was writing the show now, I'd have approached the recording machine differently. But yeah, that's why she features less in, in season three, because of all the stuff that's happening with AI. Um, and yeah, but I, I do imagine that the recording machine has a happy ending um, in so far as a semi-sentient recording machine can have a happy ending. Why has Aira typecast himself as sad anxiety boy with semi-dead boyfriend in every podcast he has written and featured in? Will this continue in 12 Helms? <laughs> um, I have self-confidence issues. <laughs> um, no, it doesn't really continue in 12 Helms. Um, 
Felix has a very different vibe um, from Alfie, Sam and Noah. Um, I'm really excited to play Felix and he's who I, I will be being in 12 Elms. He's got different stuff going on, but yeah, that's so weird <laughs> to have been called out in this so such a specific and accurate way. <laughs> Yeah, I feel seen, derogatory. Uh, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but yes, um, I I think I do enjoy playing that kind of character. Um, I have a lot of confidence issues in terms of like my abilities to do voice acting performances. Um, and I think that the reason I tend to make myself play very anxious characters is because um, I worry that my anxiety about my vocal performances comes through into the performance. Um, and I don't know how true that is. I think I'm like a much stronger voice actor now than when I started Spirit Box Radio, but um, I still don't have a lot of confidence in my in my vocal performances. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's not one of the things that like comes naturally <laughs> to me, I guess. Um, I really enjoy doing it. Um, it's really fun and I especially love being Alfie and Nesh in, uh, in Not Quite Dead um, and I'm really really looking forward to being Felix um, one of the things that I found really difficult in making early seasons of Spirit Box Radio is I didn't previously feel very confident in my own voice um, not just as a voice actor but as like as a human person but um, obviously my the, the way I feel about my voice has changed a lot um, in the past few years because I've been on tea and I've listened to myself speak a lot um, I think my feelings about my own voice and my own speech have changed a lot since I started making this show um, apologies if that was like <laughs> way much more of an answer than you were expecting um, but there you are that's why uh, this is just a note that somebody has left um, with their questions which just says um, the show's got them through a lot of not good times and thanking me for making it and thank you for listening to it um, I'm so glad you enjoyed it I make this show for you and for everybody listening right now um, and like it it means so much to me that, that people tune in like it, it honestly does it's such a, a wild thing especially after the finale has aired um, and I've seen people talking about how the finale in, in particular made them feel um, it's been an amazing thing to see how much of an emotional impact the show has really had on so many people. Um, creating the show has at times been a really isolating experience um, because, like I said at the beginning, it, it's me backstage. It's, there's nobody else here. I, I don't have a collaborator who does my sound design or anything. It's, it's just me, and that can be lonely and isolating. Um, and even though I have you know, quite a lot of interaction with the fans, it, it can be really easy to sort of forget that what you're doing is you're creating a thing that other people get to experience um, and uh, in the process of doing it you can lose that a bit um, it's very strange especially because like um, Spirit Box Radio is like I, I would say a medium successful show it has like a much bigger audience than a lot of other indie audio dramas but in comparison to a lot of like the bigger shows, it, it really has a tiny, tiny audience. So it's in this really weird space of, um, like, it gets a lot of downloads, but, um, you know, there's not much of a public fan community. Um, and, like, um, 
yeah, there's there's fan art, but there's only a certain amount of it. And it sounds like I'm complaining, I'm not, because one thing that's been amazing about Spirit Box Radio has been that the fandom has been so present in my life. Um, so through the Tumblr tag and through the Discord server in particular, um, I get to interact with people who listen to the show all of the time. Um, and like, I am never going to be in this position again. It's really unlikely that I'll ever be in this position again where I have the opportunity to do that and see in real time how the work I make is received by the people I'm making it for. Um, and it, it's just been, it's been a real privilege to like get to know my own audience it's just it's such a rare thing I think for creators to actually be able to do in a in a way that's really meaningful um and like you know it's a it's a weird contradiction of success that you reach a certain point and um there are just so many people there that it becomes more difficult to interact with them and get to know them um but you know that especially like throughout seasons one and two um, there was a number of people listening to the show where I could like name most of the audience which was like really cool and not a thing that you ever expect to happen yeah it's been such a simultaneously exciting and weird thing and I'm really grateful to have been able to have this experience because it's a really really cool one that I think not very many people get to have I feel really lucky. So yeah, thank you (laughs) for listening and and for interacting in this way. It it really means a lot. It's really cool um, in ways that are really hard to articulate. What songs, if any, would I associate with the characters? Um, Okay, I take this very seriously. (laughs) Um, I think about this a lot. Um, So Sam's songs are Don't Kill My Vibe by Seagrid. Doorways by Radical Face and Mama by My Chemical Romance and Eyes Shut by Years and Years. Um, Oliver's songs are Terrible Love by The National and Magpie by The Mountain Goats. Beth's song is Wannabe by The Spice Girls. Anna's song is Summer Skeletons by Radical Face. Kitty's song is Pristine by Snail Mail. Arlo's song is Touchtone Telephone. Scourge's song is The Dismemberment Song by Blue Kid. Indy's song is I Can't Decide by The Scissor Sisters. Ingra's song is I'm Not Sorry by The Pigeon Detectives. And Bliss's song is Ironic by Alanis Morissette. <laughs> Which of the Hanging Sloths cats do I think would be Sam's favourite? or Oliver's favourite, or which character would be Nimbus's favourite. So for those of you who don't know, Jesse, Alex and I, we play the Enfield siblings in the show, and we all live together, and we have four cats. Nimbus, who is the queen, uh, Gigi, who is a big, huge black cat, Caridwen, who is a teeny tiny tabby calico, and Rupert, who is an incredibly fluffy black cat, who is a ragdoll Siberian mix. Um, Nimbus is like notoriously unfriendly and she doesn't like anyone. She's the boss um, and she takes her job very seriously. Um, She only really likes one person and it's me. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think Sam would probably like all of them equally as I do um, because they each have their own loveliest qualities and there's something to love about all four of them. They're all fantastic. Um, and I think Oliver's favourite would be Nimbus because they have the same temperament um, which is grumpy but weird about one person specifically Um, and Nimbus wouldn't like any of them because she's a miserable bastard (laughs) and that's one of the best things about her (laughs) Oliver's top five plants I 
don't know enough about plants to answer this question. Um, there's like a there's a plant that has these big green floppy leaves that grows on a cane and the leaves have white splotches on them. It begins with a B. It's like a, a cane. I want to say Botticelli, <laughs> but that's not that's not the right word. Anyway, one of those I imagine he likes. And I think he also likes ferns, like ancient ferns. Um, probably very fond of all kinds of ferns because ferns are really cool. Um, I reckon he also likes oleander because oleander's very cool um and very poisonous and baby's breath i think he probably likes a lot because that's very pretty and very delicate and again very poisonous um and i think he also would probably like black baccara roses um just because they're so goth i love a black baccara anyway are there any plot point scenes that I was disappointed to cut out when I had to reduce the length of season three? Yeah, there were a bunch of them. Um, so all the side characters had extended arcs in the original like plan for season three. Um, one of the reasons that it had to be cut down in length was that this season was going to be so much more expansive initially um, because of the amount of other voice actors that I wanted to have showing up consistently. So like... Um, originally the plan for Spirit Box Radio was it would have this like accordion size of cast so it would start out like the first part of season one it's mostly Sam and then by part two you get like much more of Kitty and Anna and Oliver and Rytidia and then season two the cast expands and then by season three I was hoping to have it like fully feel like an ensemble show where Sam is no longer the clear main character um, and yeah, we'd spend a lot of time with the other characters. Um, and yeah, a lot of that had to basically get put on the back burner because of the, the way that the crowdfunder went was that it was it was already a really tight budget because I think the crowdfunder we started at 6,000, which was already incredibly tight. And that's like, um, that was a situation where I was, you know, I... I basically waive my writer's fee for writing Spirit Box Radio. I don't expect to make any money from writing the scripts. Um, and I make, like... <laughs> I don't I don't really pay myself appropriately for my work on this show. Um, because otherwise I couldn't make it. Um, and, yeah. Uh, the one thing that I insist on doing is making sure that all of the voice actors get paid appropriately. And um, I couldn't afford to do that and have any money to live on and I do this as my job and there is no other way for me to do it other than it being a full-time job because it's like it takes so much time to do this um and like the the standard of work I expect from like the sound design stuff even though I don't think Spirit Box Radio is a particularly complicatedly sound designed show and I don't you know, I, I definitely don't think it's like the most amazing sound design out there at all. Um, I'm still very much a beginner in sound design. And although my skills have developed a lot over the three years I've been making audio drama, I don't think that... I'm not a sound designer by trade, basically. Um, but I still think that the standards I expect and the time frame from which I expect things to happen in, it's all like happening at like a professional amount of speed and proficiency um, and you can't expect people to do that kind of stuff for free it was like i don't have the money to ask for collaborators i don't have the money to pay everybody and like not go bankrupt 
Um, so I had to completely reevaluate how that was all going to work, basically. And so that meant rethinking how the end of the show was going to happen. Like, in the end, I'm really, really happy with what ended up happening in season three. Um, because it meant that, like, basically we see the other side of what of everything that's happening. So in my head, all of the stuff that I had planned to do with season three still happens, but we just don't see any of it. And it's all kind of reju reduced to this background noise and we hear what other people are doing but we don't get much detail we don't hear anything and it really adds this level of like profound isolation to those first few episodes of the season where sam is like deliberately cutting themselves off from other people and shutting themselves in you do you know you hear all this other stuff about arlo's looking to reconnect with scaresmonger people and anna's been learning how to be a witch with Rytidia and arlo and anna are living together and they have some kind of like weird pre-relationship thing going on but there's clearly a lot of love there but it, what's happening and kitty and indy are off exploring things together and uncovering secret covens of witches and things like that so there's all of these like different story threads happening but we don't really hear very much about them they're all still going on they're all still happening but we only see the tiny portions of it that Sam interacts with in this version of the story. And most of the time we spend with Sam just being so alone. And everyone else, because that's the other thing about this, is that everyone else is connecting with other people. And Sam is alone. And the only person that's also alone is Oliver. But they're alone together. It doesn't help their isolation that they have each other in this time because they really need to connect with other people. You cannot get all of your interactions from one person. It's just not possible or healthy. And neither of them have the emotional like bandwidth to do that. They both have so much trauma. They're both working through so much that the fact that it's just them together really is what leads it to that breaking point. And so it's had these really interesting consequences on the story. And I think like a lot of my writing has ended up being a lot stronger because of it. But I am really disappointed that I didn't get to do what my initial plan was because my initial plan was really cool. It just wasn't meant to be. And that's all right. I've loved the way that, that the show has ended up being. And I'm really proud of how it's come out. <laughs> so someone asks where I got the Enfield surname from someone else specifically mentioned is it from Jekyll and Hyde uh no <laughs> it's not from Jekyll and Hyde and I do enjoy Jekyll and Hyde a lot I'd never actually thought of making that connection before but yes no that's not where the Enfield name comes from Sam's surname is a double reference um first to a famous haunting which took place in Enfield which is like on the outskirts of London in the 1970s um and uh yeah so that's like a really famous case of, of haunting and it's really interesting so I would recommend that you look it up I think the Conjuring series made an adaptation of it that I didn't like um and then there was a TV series made by either BBC or ITV I think um in like the mid 2010s starring Timothy Spall and like I think baby Chloe Grace Moretz I want to say but I can't remember exactly um but that was made and I liked that adaptation a lot more and it came out like either the same year or the year after or before the conjuring one and I was like oh this is embarrassing because this one's done much better than that but yes uh Enfield Haunting very interesting worth looking up and the other thing it's a reference to is the Lee Enfield rifle, uh, which is the British equivalent to the Winchester rifle, which is the namesake of the Winchester brothers in the show Supernatural. Um, and Supernatural was one of the jumping off points that Spirit Box Radios took in the beginning. I used to write a lot of... <laughs> 
Destiel fanfiction. <laughs> uh, I had a semi-popular Destiel blog back in the day. But fun fact, I've only actually watched eight episodes of Supernatural in my entire life. And I've written over half a million words of Destiel fanfiction. Uh, no, I won't be telling you what the titles of the fics were, because one of them was like a fandom favourite for a while. Um, it's actually been deleted now, that one. Um, because I wanted to pull some of the story elements I used from it into another thing, which I won't be getting into. And also, like, one person did work out that it was me <laughs> that wrote that and left a comment on the fic being like, oh my god, Aira at Spiritworks Radio, is this you? <laughs> I was like, no! <laughs> so... At that point, I deleted it because, like, to be clear, it's not because it's not because I think fan fiction is embarrassing or anything. It's just that this book is something I wrote in like 2013, 2014, and it's not bad. It's just not like up to a standard I would expect of myself now. And like, <laughs> if I was to say, it tells you more about me than I want you to know. <laughs> so I've, it's gone now. You won't, you won't ever find that. What's the funniest, weirdest way you've written yourself into a corner and had to change the plot because of a decision that seemed inconsequential at the time? Um, so, so few of them have actually been funny, is the thing. Usually it's just like a passing phrase and I'll have included it thoughtlessly and it ends up being this like flurry of continuity problems. Um, yeah, and it's not like, I wish it was like, oh, hilarious, but it's not. It's just one of those things that's really frustrating with audio drama. It's the kind of stuff that just doesn't happen if you're writing a novel because when you write a novel, you stop and you look back at it later, you edit it and you have much more scope to move things around. But in audio drama, if you make a mistake like that and it's like 20 episodes ago, that's it now. It's just part of the show. And you, you could go and re-record it, but I do so much like revising of the early episodes anyway and I just need to stop at some point. There are no funny ones that I can think of in Spirit Box Radio, but I did recently realise that I had absolutely no idea how old Alfie was at the beginning of writing Not Quite Dead. Like, to the extent that his age is given differently twice in the first episode, like, I was just not thinking about how old this man is. I just... Apparently, uh, my time blindness extends to my ability to write timelines in my show naturally. So, like, the reason it happened in Not Quite Dead is that I didn't have a plan for that like I had a sort of vague idea what I was doing in my head but I was mostly writing for vibes and just going with it in the moment so that mistake happened but like I have to say so I wrote it and I made sure that it all made sense I read through it and then I performed it and then I edited it and I did all of that without noticing once I gave his age wrong twice <laughs> so yeah um but Yes, so this question is actually referring to a thing I was talking about on social media a few weeks ago, which is that I have this thing. Planning me and writing me have a lot of disagreements. I really love to plan all of my work extensively. Uh, one of the reasons that Not Quite Dead has been such a good show for me to make is because it really breaks out of that need to obsessively plan. And like season two is much more planned and structurally sound, largely because actually I was planning and writing after I'd finished the end of Spirit Box Radio. Um, and it was originally conceived of as a way to break up what was becoming a very stressful, difficult experience of writing Spirit Box Radio. So I, I have written a, a lot in the past 
So I have got quite a lot of experience writing stuff that's long, writing stuff that's turned, you know, has callbacks and references and stuff. This is the first time I've written something that has multiple seasons with these sort of like, I think of the arcs as kind of like waves. So basically like each part of the show has to have its own like emotional peak and conclusion where it comes back down. Um, but it has to keep building and building and building. And as I was planning and writing it, it all felt really good. And I was really confident about the direction I was going in until I got to the last season. And in part, it's because I had to make so many changes to the original plan. Um, but it's also just because it's the first time I've done this. And it's also the first time I've been making something with the size of an audience that Spirit Box had by the end. Um, and that like changes your relationship to your work a lot. It meant so much to people and I could see that it did because people were talking about it. And then you worry about doing it justice and like, you know, you, you almost want to just like do what everyone wants you to do. But you can't do that because people want different things from it. And like, it also won't work. You can't, you have to tell your story and that's really difficult. And you have to have the confidence to keep going and finish the story and write it how you want to write it and make sure that you're being responsive to like changes that you've made and still writing a satisfying conclusion to the story you have written rather than the story you planned to write. And so it's all like really emotionally complicated, but it also meant that um, the final season of the show had a lot more resolution than it had build up. And I love writing build up and foreshadowing and stuff. And then when it gets to the payoff, I really struggle and I tend to panic a lot. Like it takes me around three times the time it takes me to write to, to, to like edit and produce a finale episode than it does other episodes the finale episodes tend to be longer but like even accounting for that it takes me so much longer to edit them because I'm so worried about conclusions and resolutions and I want them to feel satisfying and good that's partially a consequence of my whole writing process I'm a very endings focused writer so it's all coming down to this and like that is a lot of pressure and yeah, it's just the first time I've ended a show that has thousands of people listening to it. So yeah, I think it makes sense that I'd be nervous with it. And it became really stressful and I started to really dislike the show because of how stressful it was to write the final season. And I just started to feel trapped by it and by writing it as a process. It felt like such a limiting process. So I started writing Not Quite Dead as a sort of way to re-fall in love with that meticulous kind of planning. And it, and it really helped. Um, so once I started writing Not Quite Dead and it was a much looser writing experience where I was just writing for the vibes um, and just going like, go where your heart tells you. If your heart tells you the vampire bites him now, the vampire bites him now. <laughs> and just being really indulgent in myself and like just writing it purely for the vibes. And it really gave me this opportunity to fall back in love with that meticulous planning that was such a part of making Spirit Box Radio. And by the time I got to the end of season three, I adored the process of making Spirit Box again. And it was so nice to come back to that feeling because it's not nice when you make something and you love something and it's making you unhappy. It's a really difficult thing to process emotionally, especially something like Spirit Box Radio, which I was working on like, you know, 40 to 50 hours every week. Um, I spent a lot of time with this project. And so to have that complicated emotional relationship with it as it was coming to an end was really difficult. So I was glad that I sort of intervened with myself when I did. Started making Not Quite Dead 2. Really, I wasn't expecting anyone to listen to Not Quite Dead. Um, and I'm really thrilled that they are here. And I'm really excited to do more stuff with this. 
and be more focused on it. And for a while, it's going to be the only show I'm releasing, which is really strange. I, I've forgotten even what the start of this question was. I've talked for ages about this and I've talked about Not Quite Dead almost as much, if not more, than I've talked about Spirit Box. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> but yes, um, I, oh yes, I've remembered. The question was about, have I written myself into funny corners with Spirit Box Radio? No, no. The only corners I've write myself into with Spirit Box Radio were really frustrating and upsetting corners for me to have written myself into. That really upset me at the time. <laughs> Did any of the characters grow a mind of their own and end up being really different from how I initially planned them to be? That's quite a difficult one to answer because no, not really. I've never been the kind of writer where I feel like my characters just pick up and start to make their own decisions. You know, I know other people who write who say that that's their experience where they'll come up with a character and it feels like the character basically writes themselves and they can make decisions that surprise the writer. Um, that never really happens to me. Um, even where I'll do something and I'll write a scene and it makes me go, no, they wouldn't say that. It's still a very conscious thing. Um, yeah, Part of that comes from the fact that my whole attitude to writing is very focused on the end um, like I was saying it's a very specific goal that I'm writing towards but each character has to serve a very specific role for me in achieving that one goal of getting to the end so even if they end up not successfully representing that goal to other people they have to have a really specific purpose in the plot for me to want to include them to the extent that whenever I'm writing a new character I'll be like can anyone who already exists in this world fulfill this role and you know I will check that I don't have anyone else who can show up again and do this because um, I really don't like having extraneous character and detail in there especially for a project like Spirit Box Radio which is meant to be very tightly wound story-wise like in the end looking back at Spirit Box Radio I've not been super successful with keeping all of my plot threads tidy I'm not happy I think that it gets too loose in a lot of places like the mystery isn't as tight as I want it to be um the plot gets messy I lose my way lots um, but like I said, yeah, you know, this is the first multi-season audio drama I've ever written and I'm quite pleased with how it's come out in spite of all of that. But yeah, I want to spend time with each character as well is another thing that I want to sit down and I spend a significant amount of time whenever I'm writing a character, even if they're quite minor. And I'll sort of like, you know, I'll, I'll think about what they're like and what kind of choices they make and you know, what they like to have for breakfast, that kind of stuff. Then I'll sit and I'll think about like how this person would communicate before I commit them to appearing in the story. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> I think it's something that's worked well for me in the past. And that's because my background is in writing prose, not in writing scripts. So I think that it's much easier to have these characters that, are like entirely plot necessary in a novel whereas in an audio drama it's a little bit more like tv and you kind of need more characters to fill the space sometimes and oh it's just it's just difficult and it's harder to keep track of people and you can't like stop and be like in the in a novel you can there's an extent to which you can stop and be like this is Abilene and they like peas or whatever and you can explain why they're here and you can't really do that in audio you have to give them this dedicated amount of time so I've definitely been less stringent about those kinds of rules about characters than I usually would have for this kind of project but they have applied and yeah as a result of that I don't think any of the characters have turned out way different than I anticipated that they would. What is your biggest area of growth since starting the show? I'd probably say my biggest area of growth as a creator is in sound design, I think. 
I didn't really know what sound design was when I started out. Um, and by the end of Spirit Box Radio, I was starting to feel like I was actually getting competent with it, um, which was really exciting. Um, I started to feel like another tool I could use to tell a story as opposed to a barrier that I was coming up against in attempting to tell a story, which is what it felt like in the beginning. Um, I have a background in music stuff, so the reason I felt like I could maybe try to make an audio drama was because I had experience there. Um, so yeah, I had I had some knowledge of how these things worked but like not very much and it was all like producing one to three minutes and like demo tapes of music so very different to making even the very short episodes of clockwork bird and spirit box radio that i started out with that are like 11 to 20 minutes long yeah it was it was a big change and i really didn't know what i was doing and then by the end i think i sound like someone who maybe has a bit of an idea of how sound design works. And that's nice. That's nice to know. And I also feel more confident with it as well. When I come in, I sort of feel like I know what I'm doing a bit more, which is really nice. What am I most proud of? Uh, honestly, the thing I'm most proud of is getting to the end. It's been really tough to make this show a lot of the time. Um, I've not been super public about it and I don't like to talk negatively about my experiences making the show, um, even though I have a bit today in this Q&A, uh, especially not considering that I have such a hard time speaking positively about my own work. Um, I worry that if I talked more about how difficult it's been to make the show at times, that will be all I say about the show because I struggle so much to talk about anything that I feel good and proud of. I really struggle to evaluate the quality of my own work and it's like a chronic problem that has like really significantly impacted my ability to make this show and my ability to do anything in my life in general. <laughs> when you make an audio drama, you're basically like, if you're, an, if you're an indie producer doing what I do, which is you do everything behind the scenes, that includes all of the marketing and all of the outreach and all of the social media. There's quite a lot of pressure to only talk positively about it. And you're like selling your work to people, basically. You're trying to convince people to listen to the show. And there's so much like, you know, my worry is that if I talk about the things that I've found difficult and about times I've had a negative experience, that it will make people want to listen to the show less. <laughs> and I want the show to succeed and I want the show to do well. And like a lot of it has been positive and hopefully that also comes through. Um, but it has been really, really difficult. And there's been a lot of times where I've just been like, you know, I've, I've nearly stopped making the show. There are times when you make stuff where you're thinking, what's the point? And you have to stop to reevaluate what it is you're doing with your life, you know? Um, and there's been a lot of that with Spirit Box, especially towards the end. Uh, but I'm really proud that I've made it and that I finished it. There have been some very high highs and some very low lows as part of that process. I don't know that I'll ever be ready to talk publicly about the low points. Um, and I'm certainly not ready now. But this show has meant so much to me. And it's been a real journey to make it. And I'm just... I'm just so glad that people like it and it's resonated with people and yeah, thanks for coming with me on this journey. <laughs> what have you learned as a storyteller from making Spirit Box Radio? So much. So before this I'd written standalone manuscripts of around like 90,000 words. So like I'd written novels basically of about 90k in length. And I'd also written the Clockwork Bird scripts, which were about that sort of length too, a bit shorter, maybe 70k. And 
this sounds like a lot, but it's actually pretty contained story-wise. Spirit Box Radio is like three times that length, word count-wise. You know, it's getting on for, it's not, it's not 300k, but it's getting close to 300k. And it's also the first thing I've written that has multiple seasons in it. And it's designed to have that shape I was talking about before, where there's like these wave-shaped arcs. And it also has to tell a satisfying story nugget within every episode and have those arcs build and resolve over the seasons and the half seasons and that kind of thing. And that's been really challenging to figure out. And you have to keep a lot of plates spinning. And what I hadn't anticipated that it's really easy to only focus on keeping the plates in the air and like yeah so you just become so focused on making sure everything stays spinning and that kind of makes for a great mystery structure but it doesn't necessarily make a great story if you're only focused on keeping everything spinning then you have to you, you sort of forget to look and go actually maybe that plate shouldn't be spinning here maybe that plate shouldn't be spinning at all and as a result, I feel like I lost track of a lot of story threads and that my confidence and my ability to keep things spinning all the time and to tell a satisfying story on the way, it went down over the period of making the show rather than going up. Like, I felt less confident as a storyteller towards the end of making Spirit Box Radio than I did at the beginning. But I learned best from doing. And I really noticed all of those areas of weakness in my storytelling and I've used them to help me work on the next multi-season project of a similar scope that I have in the works which is 12 Arms. I say it's a similar scope it's actually a much bigger scope than Spirit Box Radio um, but yeah 12 Arms is really ambitious as a project it's much more ambitious than Spirit Box Radio and Spirit Box Radio was a very ambitious show for, for anyone to make especially a newcomer but I'm a much stronger writer as a result of, of writing Spirit Box Radio and I'm a much better storyteller too and like now I have finished it I can see that I have improved as a storyteller and that feeling of losing confidence in that was actually a part of like acquiring new skills yeah what's the biggest life lesson from the series spirit box radio is about a lot of things mostly i think on reflection it's a story about grief and storytelling grief comes in more shapes than you think there's the kind of grief that most people know that's losing someone close to you that ache of that absence in your life but there's also the grief of trauma where the person that you're mourning is you the you that you were before the bad thing happened and who you could have been if it never happened and grief I think at least for me and the people I'm closest to it comes with a lot of storytelling um, the kind of stories that we tell about our grief and who it makes us and how we tell those stories about ourselves um, it can really help with the grieving or it can hinder it depending on what you're doing and how you're feeling for me writing this show I think the biggest lesson is that you can't change what happened but you can change where you go next the past is immutable but the future belongs to you the you that you are not the you that you think you could have been or any of those imaginary versions of yourself because they don't exist and who you are does. You matter, the version of you that's real and here and living your life. You matter more than the imaginary versions of yourself that you would imagine are better or well-adjusted or less mentally ill or whatever. You are the important one. And storytelling is a really important part of all of that not because our past can tell us who we are and not because our grief defines us but because you know it's a part of who we are you don't have to pretend it didn't happen but you can still live your life 
you can both remember and respect your grief whilst not letting it define you. And that's what Spirit Box Radio is about, or at least what it's attempting to be about. That's what I'm attempting to communicate with it. Yeah. And I think the biggest lesson I would hope that people get is that you are important. Whoever you are listening to this right now, you are important <laughs> and you matter. And the, the you that you really are is, is worth infinitely more than any imaginary version of yourself, no matter how much better you think that they could have been. They, they don't exist. They're not real. And you do exist. So you matter the most. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm not sure that made much sense, um, but here we are. Um, yes, it got really emotional at the end, which is appropriate for this show. Anyway, I talked a lot more in this than I anticipated that I would. Um, and yeah, I'm going to go now. Thank you so much for sending in these questions. So many of them were really thoughtful and I hope you feel satisfied with the answers that I've given. Um, and yes, I'm hoping to get some people who donated money to the crowdfunder i'm making them some bonus episodes which have taken me so long to put together because of various background delays that kept happening um but i should have them ready in a fortnight to go or at least one of them so that will be the next thing that appears in this feed and i will keep you posted otherwise before i go i'm just gonna say there's one week left on the 12 elms crowdfunder 12 elms is a fantasy mystery show i will be writing it and i'll be playing a character called felix in it and he's really cool and i'm really excited about it and um, the crowdfunders really struggled um i think partially because Twitter just upped and died um, right near the beginning of the campaign and it's really struggled to get off the ground and uh, yeah so just if you can drop a little bit of money in the 12 Elms crowdfunder part that would really mean a lot to me and if you go to 12elms.com forward slash secret dash perks there are some like funky special perks there that you can only find if you go to that specific page anyway yes i will put a link in the description of this episode that will take you to the secret perks page and just the normal crowdfunder page um and yeah and 12 elms you spell it like t-w-e-l-v-e-l-m-s um that's 12 elms like 12 lms or one word all right um now i've done my new show plug and got almost teary about spirit box radio um, i will sign off make sure you do something nice for yourself today because you deserve it thanks so much for listening and i will speak to you soon goodbye tune in get spooky imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.